and we're back with perspectives to really make you think. This is Fluid Truth, and I'm attorney Shirley Skyers Thomas. We explore a simple question of whether there is equity in the justice system. The content offered in this segment is personal reflection and interpretation. The views of my guests are not necessarily the views of Fluid Truth or Quinnipiac University. For clarity, this conversation has been edited. I'm delighted to be in conversation with my guest today. I have Ms. Rhonda Scales Thacker. She is the Managing Vice President for Software Engineering and Finance Technology at Gartner. She's also involved in a host of civic activities as she strives to leave her space better than she found it. We spoke about Black women in leadership and our role in the conversation of equity. And we were right here, right at Fluid Truth. My guest today is Ms. Rhonda Scales Thacker. Pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome to Fluid Truth. I'm so excited to talk to you today, Rhonda. I'm so excited that you asked me. It's a pleasure. Absolutely, because you have a perspective that I really want to hear from. So can we just start with you introducing yourself? Tell us a little bit about you, who you are, how you come to be sitting in this space to have this conversation with me today. Okay. All right. So Rhonda Scales Thacker, as you've already said, uh, I grew up in Bridgeport, Connecticut. I currently live in Monroe. I went to Colby Cathedral High School and... You know, when I say Bridgeport and Kobe, it's just it's such a part of who I am today and why I'm so passionate about the things I am today. My parents, you know, Robert and May Scales, uh, my mom passed away about six years ago. Uh, my dad recently moved in with us uh, a few years back. So, you know, I am at that age of kids are grown and now dad is with me. So it's definitely an interesting time in my life, but I am enjoying every bit of it um, from a professional perspective. I am managing vice president of software engineering at a company called Gartner, located in Stanford, Connecticut. I am also the co-chair of our Black Employee Network. Um, we started the Employee Resource Group about a year and a half ago. So as a part of the launch, and it's you know a company, seventeen thousand employees, and it's the first ever. Um, Black Employee Resource Group. So I, I am loving that we were able to get it off the ground, but I'm even more excited about where we need to go as a company. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be on that journey as well. But also, you know, I got to meet you at UConn, right? So we we won't open up that window too far, right? But um, a little bit. Everyone can't know about our <laughs> UConn days. Yeah, we just we a little bit. We can't share all those details, but uh, <laughs> obviously, um, got to to meet you initially in uh, in college. So that was it's it's amazing how things come you know, full circle and, and, and be able to get reintroduced later in life. So that's awesome. Right. And I agree with you 100 percent, especially as we talk about how we get to this space and all the things that have contributed. I love how you are giving Bridgeport the homage it's due and having been such an integral part of shaping you. Uh, thank you for some just sharing some personal details about family. I love when we're able to just remember how we got here. And a wonderful shout out to both of your parents. So as we go forward in conversation, 
I generally like to talk about equity and how we perceive equity from our lens. And you are a titan. You are one of the only black women in tech that I know of. I'm just speaking for myself personally that I know of. But can you expound on that? Black women in technology, in this field, in this arena, and from an equity lens, what do you see? What hits you initially? Loneliness. It's a, it's, it can be lonely, um, but it's a matter of how do, you, how do you look at that, right? Do you look at that loneliness as something that really gets you going to say, how can I make it different for that next uh, woman that's looking to get into the field of technology, right? How can I do my part? You know, it's an interesting area. Um, the evolution is, you know, when you think technology, you think fast paced evolution, but the people that, that sit in the roles, not so much. Um, so it's an interesting dynamic. Um, and, and I look at it in terms of when I was younger, did I think I was going to be in the space that I'm, I am today? Absolutely not. Right. I, I spent the first 15 years of my career in finance. Right. So now I've shift o- shifted over to finance technology. Um, but whether it's finance or tech, it still can be a lonely place, um, you know, for a woman, especially a black woman. As a kid, whether, you know, growing up or or in college, right, I didn't see me, right? So I I can't say that I've seen many examples that made me want to aspire to be. It was just more something, let's try it and and let's ride this wave and and see what happens. I I remember there was Melody Hobson. She's a leader in the finance space. and, And I just remember her. She's the CEO. Um, and people at certain levels, you you think because they're at that level, the experiences went away, right? They're all set. They've made it. Um, but I think it's almost like you're, you, when you reach those levels, you are now under a microscope, right? You're now under a microscope of what you do and how you do things, as well as what are you going to do to make sure there's other people that look like you so that they can join in, you know, join the party, so to speak, you know, from an equity perspective, the the imbalance is glaring. It's glaring. Um, but I try not to focus on that. Right. Cause it can be a daunting thing to, to carry. Um, and I just think of it as being ex- an example to excite, youth about, you know, wanting to become interested, um, being that example of saying, you know, seeing a black woman in this field of I can do that. Right. And in the famous saying of, you know, you can't be what you can't see. So so how can I be a part of that in, in being an example? Being I wanna be that woman that I wish I had growing up to look at, to 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 be that example, right? It's one thing if you see someone, you know, I remember looking at black enterprise magazines, right? Where you see just, you know, different people and you're like, wow, but you didn't have anyone directly in your community for you to to look at and say, okay, I wanna be like her when I grow up, right? 
Um, so just to be a little more um, in tune with my community, right? I'm a mentor at Kobe right now. And that's one of the reasons why I, I feel so passionate about it is because I do think it's important, uh, especially in, in certain communities for young people to see the example and to continue to, to try to change what equity looks like. So let me ask you this, Rhonda. You were making mention of not seeing anyone that looked like you when you were coming up and not having anyone to necessarily mentor you or direct you as you were coming up. And I'm assuming you mean through school and your early days of working. So how did you arrive in the space that you did without having a real direct roadmap? That's fascinating. That's so commendable. But how did you do that? It was more so instead of getting angry about what you don't see, to me, I just took that and it almost it fed me to be even more motivated about getting to that next level. You know, and and I think about my first job out of college, I was an accounting analyst and literally like there were no, no people of color, period. Right. Black folks, brown folks, however you want to uh, label it, there was none, right? And there was just me that showed up one day. And it was like, wow, right? It, it was just because I think we all had envisioned, at least I, I think I was fooling myself, right? You you finish school, you start your job. You don't, you don't think about, I'm going to show up on that, in that role day one and not see anyone that looks like me. Like no one's ever had that conversation, I think, with with our children. Right. Because we we know a little more and we can prepare them for that. So for me, it was just like, OK, this is what we're working with. Right. And so I feel like I took that and said, I'm going to work three times harder. Right. Uh, I'm going to to soak up every piece of knowledge that comes my way. Not only I want to be good at my role, but I also want to learn what these people are doing and why they're doing it. So I just I just chose a path of, you know, almost dissecting everyone that came into um, my space, so to speak, so that I can just I took it as a learning opportunity to really just build my brand. Um, and just, you know, resume impact it, it, that became my focus. And, and, you know, if I'm, if I have a manager, what will it take for me to get to that manager role? Right. And also what can I bring different to the role? Because we've all had managers that we didn't care for one, one way or the other. Right. So it's just leaning in to say, what type of manager do I want to be? What's the difference between the person that I have? So what skills do I need to sharpen to get there? So it's just that constant um, to a fault, right? Because sometimes you just need to relax in the space you you are in and kind of soak it up. But I just looked at it more or less. Okay, what do I have to do next? What do I have to do next? And just that constant um thought process of, of, you know, evolving. But again, it goes back to the equity, right? Why, why is it that, why do we think we have to work three times harder? Right. We all, we've all seen that person that kind of coast, (laughs) like, how are they doing that? 
and they end up here, right? So it's self-inflicted at times. I, I do recognize that, right? I think I just want to say like a coping mechanism to be able to survive and thrive in these professional settings. This work ethic that you have to get in there, you have to work harder, you have to stay later, you have to take on more responsibilities. Is that a coping mechanism? And I say for us, and I make reference to black and brown women specifically when I say us, is that a coping mechanism for us? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because... Imposter syndrome is real at every level, right? And someone asked me this question a few weeks ago of thinking like, you know, now that you're managing vice president, like thinking as if imposter syndrome goes away. I'm like, no, it actually worsens, right? As, you know, it's like when, whereas you would think you're like, okay, you know, I've been promoted into this role for a reason. I belong here. Um, But it's, it's something that is very real in, in just to your point, coping mechanisms of, you know, working harder and, and going that extra mile to just overcome some of those things that are, you know, like I said, I, I do recognize for me personally, a lot of it is self-inflicted, but it, it goes back to, you know, when I walk out of my office, what do I see? <laughs> you know, I, I don't see me. And and that's what is that that reminder um, and not that you, you need to prove anything to anyone at any point in time, because I, I do. I, I feel like I'm very comfortable in my space right now. I, I feel like at this obviously almost 50 to say I own, you know, I own it. Um, I've, I've mastered it and I feel really good about where I am, but I'm almost 50. And if I can help young women get there at 35, 30 then I, I think I'm, I'm giving back and doing my part to reinvest, right? To, to mitigate someone else from having, you know, just have a different type of career journey, right? Because I do feel like your mindset going into anything is what, you know, allows you to, to stay ahead of the curve, so to speak. Um, and just trying to be that person that I wish I had. You know, and it's that con- that constant, constant reminder. So you really segue into this really great point, And I was going to bring this up next. So it's perfect. So who did you have growing up? What were your role models looking like and um, in what field? So even if it was not professionally, mm-hmm. who did you have growing up? What did that look like for you? Well, I mean, for me, I've I always had from a family perspective, like my mother was my biggest cheerleader. It didn't matter what I did. Right. It's like I remember at Wobble Cross School, every honor roll, every a little award I got, no matter how big or how small she was always there. Right. To someone to say, you know, you can do whatever it is that you put your mind to. You know, my mom worked at Bridgeport Metal Goods and, you know, she she cooked like her Sunday dinner on a Wednesday. Right. Before she went to work. Um, And so it's not a matter of someone having a, a similar professional journey, but just that, you know, just someone to empower you. Um, and have the confidence in you to to keep you going, right? Because we're all going to face some type of obstacle and not every journey looks the same, but it doesn't mean that you can't grow 
you know, as they say, it takes a village, right? So between my mom, my grandma, my dad, my my siblings, my aunts, uncles, right? Everybody gave a little something, you know, in terms of what helped shape me into who I've become, right? It's the good and the bad. I've always had a, a really good friends, you know, friends around me, right? That encouraged one another. You know, I, I have had the same best friend for, for 35 years where, you know, I called when I got the first job and, and I call like each promotion and, and we brainstorm and, and, you know, just a, a mix of between family, friends, you know, I have two girls that I are my absolute world, right? So when I look at them, it reminds me of of why, you know, I don't settle for it for things and, and hoping that their continued, you know, job experiences, et cetera, become a, a little more uh, balanced and fair in, in the future, right? So that's so wonderful that you have this, what I'll call it a tribe, that you have a tribe and that you've always had this tribe kind of instilling in you and lifting you up and elevating you emotionally, um, spiritually, perhaps to a space where you can step into these rooms. Tell me a little bit about how it feels when you step into primarily white male dominated space and you're the managing vice president. So how does that translate for you and how do you see this? How do you perceive all of this? You know, now I walk in and I'm like, let's get to it. What are we doing? Right. Just that confidence and just solid direction of why I'm there, what I'm bringing to the table and what the deliverables need to be just very buttoned up in, in, you know, thinking from an execution perspective, opposed to before it's the, you know, what do I wear? How do I do this? Right. Cause you're, you're, you are so concerned with when you walk in that room, right. Of people looking at you as if like, does she belong? Right. Or, you know, it just, some of the things that I would be very careful about before, because it was my own confidence, you know, like you said, walking into the room, you know, white male dominated of, of feeling that I had to do all of these 10,000 things to, to make things better. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what you're bringing to what you're bringing in that room. Right. Sometimes people are going to have their perceptions one way or another. Right. But I said, what I, what I stopped doing is I would not let my audience hinder how I deliver. Right. Cause at the end of the day, that, that is what makes me me. Right. And what made someone at some point in time say, okay, whether I was interviewing or whatever the case may have been, this is the difference. This is why she is the fit, right? So I've had the validation points, you know, throughout my career. So I just remind myself of how I got there. What did I do to get there? And, And I just make sure that I'm reminding myself of those things as I walk into the room. So now, I expect that if it was something different, I'd be like, whoa, <laughs> what happened? <laughs> like, this is awesome. But, but what happened? No one told me this is going on, you know, and it's it's sad, right? Because it's it's 
it's just the expectation, right? But I don't let it bother me anymore. It, it really doesn't. I, I think um, I can honestly say I'm proud that it's like a weight that lifts off your shoulders when you can walk into the room just with your A game and, and not really just tune out all the other noise. But it takes a long time to get there. Um, and I do recognize that I'm privileged to be at the level that I'm at. But I see other people, you know, other minorities in the corporate setting. And I and I kind of see that that uh, lack of confidence in, in the constant feeling of having to do things, you know, these 30 different ways to prove your point versus that person coming in and, and just doing this one thing. And all of a sudden it, it's accepted. Right. So I, I try to also when I'm in meetings that I see different examples, use it as coaching moments as well. Right. Or validation moments to say you did a really great job. Right. Because sometimes walking out the room, it's like, you know, you can see a person deflated. Right. In, in some regard. So I, I really try to make sure that I'm, you know, being that leader in the room that just reminds people that, you know, you're doing you're doing a good job. Right. And I do that with everyone. Right. I don't just pick pick out oh this, you know, but I, I can tell who needs that extra encouragement. Right. Because I know our journey looks very different. It does. I, I know sometimes we like to put our blinders on. I'm not going to say we, but forces that be <laughs> put blinders on. But if you don't use your position of power to, you know, be more empathetic to provide, uh, you know, the encouragement, you know, it's I'm, I'm not doing my job as a leader. Our journey looks different. It does. And not to mention the idea that you are reaching back out and encouraging those coming behind you. So my question now is, how do you prepare the room for those who are coming next? How do you prepare the room for the little Rondas who are coming out of college, coming out of high school? How do you prepare your, your room, your space, um, almost your career path, if you want to say it like that? How do you prepare for them? So... It's a, a variety of different ways, right? And I know different companies do it different. And, and I really think it's the the leaders you have in place that can help, you know, put that vision together. But for me personally, right, it's in order to create more equity and more visibility to people that look like me, right, it starts with your recruitment. Right. It starts with your recruitment. Where are you going to look for this talent? Right. And when you find the talent, who are you sitting in front of them to interview? Someone, let's just say a, a young black male out of a HBCU and sit them down with five white males on a panel interview. That's going to be intimidating. Right. As well as it, it's not going to make that person feel empowered because what's a, you know is this a diverse community is this someone that is going to invest in me and my future for the long term right just you know my in order because it's a two-way street right in order to attract the talent so that you can change your landscape you have to show something different right as they say the proof is in the pudding 
Right. So it's making sure that we are, you know, our, our recruiting lens looks different. The experience that, you know, if someone's interviewing, what does my panel look like? Because if, you know, in order to recruit diverse talent, you need diverse thought and diversity comes in a variety of ways. Right. Everyone tends to think it's just what I look like. Right. And and, you know, that that's that's one factor. Right. But there's so many things that go into what makes you you. Right. You know, neural diversity. There's there's so many different things. And and it's also a it's a learning journey. Right. Because even unconscious bias. Right. Certain things you can you can think like, oh, you know, X, Y, Z. And then you kind of catch yourself. Right. And, and I'm always saying, keep me honest, right? Should we look at it this way or should we look at it that way? But again, it's having the right people to be able to, to really push back to make sure you're making good decisions, to make sure you're, you're being open to opportunity. For example, you have these five things that you're looking for. These three things, they're they're awesome, but these two, not quite, but can I coach them to get there? You know, I always say you there's certain things that you can't teach. Right. So I would let me invest in those things that I can teach and let them come in with, with this awesome knowledge and perspective of the things that I know I can't teach. Right. So that's just another way of looking at, you know, what you're bringing in the door, because, you know, you you can't say I want to do something different if you don't start with who you're bringing in. Right. Because if, if it all looks the same, you can talk about it, but nothing's going. You're not going to move the needle at all. So how much of our responsibility do you think that is? How much of the professional that's in the space right now? How much of our responsibility? Uh, I mean, I just think as leaders, it's it's anyone in the hiring capacity. It is your responsibility, at least from a DEI lens, right? The way I look at it is that's part of my role, right? To be able to build a team of diverse thought, diverse backgrounds. I mean, it's been proven that, you know, companies that are more diverse, they have higher profit margins, they, you know, revenue generation, et cetera, right? The, the, the proof is there, but but what are you going to do? How are you going to go about changing it? And as you know, since George Floyd a few years ago, you know, a lot of companies, basically the, the light bulb went on. Oh, we need to do this. GEI is important, right? Um, so a lot of companies have definitely jumped in, into action in terms of getting true um, DEI priorities. But I do think it's up to leaders, right, to make sure that it it lands correctly. And I love your point about diverse diversity of thought and how you have to have those people in a space, in a room to be able to produce the best outcome I'm with you on that 100%. Now, tell me how that translates into the association that you have that you've just started a year ago at your job. What is it called again? It's called the Black Employee Network. So um, it's an employee resource group um, at Gartner, and it's, it's for a, a safe space for, for Black associates. Um, and, you know, we have coffee chats. We have a, a host of different programs that we bring to the company. It's, it's an education, another education tool, 
right, for the broader community. Um, so it, it really gives us an opportunity to you know, engage with associates that, you know, when you work for a large company, you may not connect with your other associates um, and because you just don't have the opportunity, right? You have, you're all, you know, doing your day job and, and you don't have a, a lot of time for, you know, connecting with associates on and other forums. And especially now in this virtual world, it's even harder, right? Um, so, like I said, we were, it was, I was very excited to, to be a part of the launch and, and just even more excited to see where, where it'll go. So, but it, it's definitely, um, a, a big change in, in, it was a culture shift for sure. So how was it received by your community at large? Um, it's, we've gotten a, a lot of support, um, uh, a lot engagement with employee resource groups overall is, is tough. Cause again, it's, it's in addition to your day job, right? And, and if someone is already going from meeting to meeting, they're trying their best to join something extra, but your calendar just won't let you be great. So I, I get it, you know? Um, so, so overall engagement is, is still tough. But it's been overall, it's been it's been well received. Um, we've had events where we've had up to a thousand people join. So it's it's um it's it's taken off um, really well. So you know, like I said, as long as it's it's bringing a lens that did not exist before, something that really makes my heart smile. Right? Is as they say, you want to um, leave you know leave something better than you found it. That was truly the goal there. <laughs> I love that so much. Um, I mean, you're making mention of all these fascinating and commendable things that you're doing. So as we wrap up, because, you know, we could sit here and talk equity all day and I will pick your brain. I'll just tell me more, Rhonda. Tell me more, Rhonda. But um, what's your pivot now as it relates just specifically to equity? Do you have anything that you want to um, accomplish? Is it with your students? Is it with those that you're mentoring? Is it with the Black Employee Network, perhaps? You know, my my true passion is mentoring high school students, right? Because you, you catch them early and, you know, especially in different situations, you have kids from all different backgrounds, all different work, walks of life. And that's when they are most impressionable, right? In terms of um, decisions on colleges, right? To think bigger, right? Don't just think right down the street, you know, and, and just to to to, to empower them to not, to have that no limit mindset, right? I can do it. Let's try it. If it doesn't work out, so be it. At least I can try. So I just feel that, you know, in terms of the equity overall is working with high school students so that they can forge a path so that they can be in those rooms that there's only one or two in right now or none. Right. So, cause that's where it starts grooming. Right. Um, so that, that's, that's really my sweet spot. You know, I, while I love my day job, um, you know, I, I am I am hoping and praying that, you know, there there will be, become a day where I can spend more time mentoring than doing, you know, software development work. 
I love that. And that just, again, goes to what you said earlier, leaving it better than you found it. So if you're leaving students engaged and you're leaving them inspired, girl, you've done your job. Well, not to mention your day job. Not to mention that. You've done your job. <laughs> Got to keep the lights on. Got to keep the lights on. <laughs> <laughs> but Rhonda, I am so glad to have this conversation with you. And we just scratch the surface. There's so much that we could dig into, but I think that's enough. We'll, we'll just digest this and kind of let that resonate for a short while. But Rhonda, thank you for the space that you occupy. Thank you for being a beacon of inspiration to not just the young people that you're mentoring, but your colleagues and those that you lead. Thank you so much for what you're doing in this space. And I appreciate talking to you. Thank you for having me. Anytime, anytime. And we are not going to talk about UConn and we're going to keep that quiet. We'll save that for the reunion. But Miss Rhonda scales Thacker, my friend, my fellow Husky and my link sister. All the best. Thank you. Thanks for listening in today. On the next show, we'll have a special co-host, attorney Errol Skyers and our guest, Mr. Leon Brown. Special thanks to our producer, Raynette Shapu and executive producer, David DeRoche. Shout out to the Fluid Truth crew for their assistance. That's Jillian Catalano and Jake McCarthy. Music is provided by Audio Hero from their Jazz Lounge album. To learn more about all of our podcasts, visit qu.edu slash podcast. You can listen to our podcast on the platform or app of your choice. Be sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at QPodcast. If you have a story to share or something you want to talk to us about, find us on social media or just shoot us an email. That address is qupodcast at qu.edu. All right, that's it for today. Till next time.